you know, having quit a job and having told other people that I wanted to go and work and travel the world that, that it, yeah, it was, it was something that I hadn't really experienced before in that sense. And I, I kind of viewed it as like, I can't, I can't really fail. You know, I, I know I can, but I like, I need to do my best in order to, to not fail. And so that was kind of, I think I just really had to dig deep. Courage is a key ingredient to living your ikigai. In most cases, we're afraid to pursue our ikigai, not because we don't know how. There are many ways we can get started on a new career, a new relationship, or a new phase in our lives, but because we haven't summoned the necessary courage to take the next step. When we're confronted with change, we need to let go of the comforts of who we are now to become who we want to be tomorrow. Today's conversation is with my friend, Andrew Jones. He left a career in the nonprofit space to start from scratch and become a freelance web developer. We talk about his experience making the shift into a completely new field and how he began a three-year journey as a digital nomad. He's a great example of someone who's combined a plan and a bit of courage to make a dramatic shift in his life. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Andrew Jones. Andrew, welcome to the Ikigai Project. Awesome. Happy to be here, Pete. Thanks for having me. Uh, so first question for you, how would you describe yourself to, uh, to the folks listening? Tell, tell us a little bit about who you are. Oof, it's a big question. Um, if I had to describe myself um, in terms of my personal non-work side, I would say I am... Uh, someone who you know loves exploring, who tries to be a genuine human, uh, established community. Uh, I'm a brother, a musician, um, someone who loves loves a good book, loves to uh, uh, explore mentally in terms of you know learning new languages and trying to uh, yeah constantly just kind of improve and better myself. And then if I were to uh, flip to the work side of who I am, I'm a uh, freelance web developer and UX slash web designer. Uh, and I am what people refer to as a digital nomad. Uh, I think for better or for worse, I use that term, but that's kind of my current situation. Digital nomad. Okay. So what, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> I think it depends on who you ask, but essentially someone who can make their uh, they're living online and do it from anywhere. There is a Wi-Fi connection or without, depending on who you are. But yeah, for the most part, wherever there's a, a strong Wi-Fi connection, uh, you can get your job done. So did, did you see this as a kid growing up as, as somebody who's, uh, abroad living digitally and living, you know, semi nomadically, was this something that you'd always dreamed about as a kid or was it kind of a more recent, um, adulthood switch that you made? Yeah, definitely more recent adulthood switch. I had never heard of this until I was in my mid-20s, and then I started seeing it creep up in a few different places, whether it be books, blogs, um, just people on you know social media. Yeah, and being able to kind of see this new lifestyle that people were leading, that was kind of my first uh, discovery of it. And then from there, it just kind of um, planted itself a uh, little seed in the back of my mind as something that, you know, hmm, I could potentially explore that one day. And, uh, lo and behold, here I am, you know, three, three years later. How did you get started in this, um, field? So, so maybe tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and how you got started in it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm so just to 
recap, I'm working as a freelance uh, web developer, uh, web and UX designer, which are just uh, fancy ways of saying I'm a bit of a nerd. Uh, I get to work on the internet all day, uh, designing and creating things through uh, code and pixels, which is really exciting. Um, so, I mean, that my day-to-day as a freelancer, you know, just work with a variety of clients, but how I... Um, yeah, how I, I, I guess to answer your question, how I got into this, um, I was working as a, uh, essentially in the nonprofit sector, you know, where you and I used to work, and uh, it was um, a great, great position. Uh, I spent about four years at the organization, you know, crafting out um, my place and trying to build some legacy pieces there. And after some time, you know, you just reach that point where you kind of want to spread your wings and see what the rest of the world uh, looks like, you know, in terms of the professional world, personal world, uh, the physical world. And so I decided to quit my job and go to school for something completely different. So I enrolled in one of those uh, fancy boot camps that you probably see advertised everywhere around the world now, or at least in, you know, North America. Um, They're quite popular just uh, doing a 10 week boot camp. And so I went there for 10 weeks, uh, learned how to code. And then uh, from there, I decided that that was enough uh, knowledge and that I was just going to start traveling the world uh, about three months later uh, and be a freelance web developer, Um, which, you know, between that was, like I said, three years ago when I first started doing that. And it's taken me some really cool places, had some really great clients some terrible clients. uh, And yeah, still learning as I go. There's still still lots to explore. So when you took the boot camp course, did you already know that the opportunity after you graduated from that would be to then go and travel the world? Or did the traveling piece come after you graduated and you thought, okay, wow, now I have this skill that's, you know, transferable wherever I go, as long as I have good Wi-Fi, um, mm-hmm. now I can travel. What, how, how did the plan come together? Yeah, for for me, it was so when I was finding out about the whole digital nomad craze that was uh, slowly starting to take over the world, uh, I gave it some thought and I, I looked at, you know, kind of my current skill sets uh, and did an inventory and try and say, like, OK, if I were to work digitally right or remotely right now, what could I potentially do? And there were a few jobs. But when I was looking on online and on job boards for remote companies and uh, remote positions, I was noticing a lot of the time it was for hard skills. So whether it be coding, whether it be designing, whether it be um, marketing, uh, just sales, um, not necessarily skills that I had at that time. So I thought to myself, I was like, well, if I want to make this a reality sooner rather than later, I could, um, there's a couple different routes I could, I could stick with my job at that point um, and kind of go to night school, build up my skills that way or take courses online. Um, or the fastest route and a route that I was always, uh, interested in. And I was actually already dabbling in it a bit. I was doing part-time courses at night, uh, and, like part-time ones. So, um, yeah, being able to kind of experience that, I thought, uh, experienced kind of it in a, in a, uh, I guess like, um, a low stress situation. There wasn't a lot at stake through those part-time courses. Um, so I decided to go with the coding route cause it was only 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it was a bit of me, yeah, taking an inventory, kind of looking at what I had already deciding that coding was probably going to be the easiest route to get to where I wanted to be, mm-hmm. uh, which was being a digital nomad. And so that was, that was kind of how the plan came together. But in terms of uh, all the logistics that come after, you know, about <laughs> everything from, 
selling things at your uh, in your apartment to booking your tickets uh, where do you go in the world to getting clients all that was still kind of up in the air leaving it to future andrew jones to worry about so um so it sounded like you you did um you know hedge your your bets so to speak or just dip your toes in the water with some some part-time night courses that gave mm-hmm. you a sense of whether this was a fit or not um when did you know after taking those part-time you know uh courses did you realize this was worth making that courageous you know decision to shift into yeah it's a, yeah it's a it's it's a it's a constant growth for me as a freelancer not having a team so like i mentioned earlier i still i still feel like some days i'm not in the right field but other days i am but i think when i started when it started to really click that this was a kind of a could potentially be a lucrative career path um was when i you know cr- completed probably one of my like first three projects and it's terrible I think I still have it somewhere on my computer it's so bad and like if I showed you you would laugh but uh it was at that time that I I could actually put something to a portfolio site and be like this is something I made this is something I created and it felt really empowering because like I said before I didn't really have any hard skills I had a bunch of soft skills which you know similar some might argue that those are more valuable than hard skills uh, other people might argue the opposite way but uh just to be able to kind of yeah, have some pride in that, uh, in some of the work I was creating, even though, like I said, it wasn't the best, um, and being able to, yeah, create some, some really cool things was kind of when I first fell in love with it. And also seeing that other people were really succeeding in the field, um, with, you know, pretty minimal experience was also really, uh, enticing for me. Yeah. Did you, did you talk to people close to you, like your friends or family, um, about making this shift? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of, uh, you know, I ran it by, I, I talked to some pals who had already left the organization that we were working at, um, just kind of about their experience, what the job market was like, looking online and kind of getting, you know, that kind of perspective to see what other prospects would look like. I And then I had a, um, a good friend who was also my bandmate at the time, and he had enrolled in this program that I was think, considering um, enrolling into, uh, and he had graduated and he had, a, he had a great job and he was loving it and he was really enjoying the work that he was doing. So he was kind of my big, uh, motivating factor, mo- uh, you know, biggest influence to, to kind of jump into that, that program. It definitely helped hearing his perspective and kind of seeing the, his trajectory and, you know, rather than just reading some testimonials on the website or, you know, reaching, reaching out to people who might not be as authentic as, you know, one of your best friends. So yeah, he was, he was a big influence. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did anybody kind of say, Hey, this is a bad idea. <laughs> you know, you're giving up a <laughs> career here that you've built out for a num- you know, a good amount of years and you're pretty good at it at this, um, at this previous job. Now you're going to do what, um, what, you know, I, did you hear any resistance from other people? And, um, if, if you did, you know, how, how'd you handle it? Yeah. I, I think to be honest, there was, uh, amongst my, family there was a bit of confusion like i think from the outside you know me telling them be like oh yeah i'm gonna go to kenya next week works paying for it i'll be there for like you know three weeks was like it was it was super amazing for for my parents to know that i had that like really cool job um so when i told them that i was considering enrolling in school again for something that i had pretty much very little experience and they were 
they were, not, I don't want to say hesitant because it makes it sound like they're not supportive. They were definitely supportive, but they were like, you should probably just give it a couple more weeks of thought uh, before you go into it. Um, and then I think in terms of, you know, actual resistance, like people discouraging me completely. No, I, I was I was really lucky in that sense. Um, that most people were, you know, they were happy for me leaving, especially when I was telling people at work that I was leaving. Um, there was definitely a lot of, oh, you're going back to school to learn how to code, not, uh, you know, going to study, say, like environmental studies or international development, which or like law or whatever is seemed to be probably a bit more of a, a logical um, path to take, given like the, the past skill sets that I was gaining. But uh, yeah, I'd say for the most part, my my naysayers were um, at a minimum, which was nice. Yeah. So you decide to enroll in the the boot camp. Once you graduate, what what happened next? Uh, yeah. So after I graduated, that's when uh, the biggest naysayer of all came out, which was myself. You know, um, mm. reflecting on. Uh, where I was right after the boot camp, uh, and even looking back on it now, it was a tough place to be because how the how those processes are designed, at least the school that I went to, um, how it is designed is that they really encourage you to get a full time job uh, right after the boot camp um, because you know it obviously works well for you because you have a full time job, but it also bodes well for them on their um, you know their reports that they're able to you know attract new students with. So there was that kind of pressure in a lot of my class. I'd say about, you know, almost 90% of my classmates at the time went to the full-time route and maybe only a few of us went the freelancing route. So mm. day one of freelancing was scary. It, I mean, it's still scary a lot of days when you don't know where your, your next paycheck's coming from or if you have any clients in the pipeline or if you're doing the right things um, because you don't have anyone on your team. But uh, that day one was definitely scary. The first couple months were very slow, intimidating, uh, so slow, in fact, that I picked up a uh, short-term contract um, at a at a, just like a small startup, essentially run by uh, two gentlemen, and they had uh, they were two web developers as well, and they just needed someone to kind of do some other basic web dev stuff. And um, I remember, yeah, that was that was right around the time winter uh, winter was starting. So as you know, being a Torontonian, winter in Toronto can be pretty dismal. So. Mm-hmm. I was working in this, I just remember working in this basement um, for my first couple months, trying to get some freelance clients on the side and build up my skills that way. And I remember this this, this basement was like a co-working space where the startup was uh, located. And it was pretty empty a lot of the time, not a lot of people in there. And the gentlemen that I were working with weren't really that supportive. Their leadership skills weren't necessarily there. The, the people side of it wasn't there. And I, I was coming from a, a pretty cushy um everyone loves each other, you know, organization to something that was a bit more cold and upfront uh, and foreign to me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I remember reflecting on some of those days sitting in that basement. Uh, and ironically, the basement was just actually a city, one city block away from my old office. And just thinking to myself, you're like, what did I do? I don't, I'm not even enjoying this right now. I'm, I, I'm not like a team of one essentially, or like, you know, just with these other two guys that who I at the time assumed didn't like me um, <laughs> or the work I was producing. Uh, and just, yeah, it was, it was a period of huge self-doubt. I was also at this point, like, you know, the, the digital nomad dream hadn't really taken off. And I think I was starting to kind of lose uh, my hope uh 
about that, or I guess my faith in that, that dream ever happening, especially if I couldn't get any freelance clients. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, the first few months after, after the boot camp. And so if it feels like that's a really pivotal moment and you're just fresh out of this, this boot camp experience and you're supposed to be having, you know, a great time exploring this new field and a new career, mm -hmm. hopefully a new job that's paying, you know, paying well. If you had to describe the debate that was going on in your head at this time, you know, what was one side saying and, and what was the other side saying? Yeah, good question. It was it was pretty polar opposite in the sense that um, when I left the organization I was working for, you know, I, I tried to leave in a, in a good place. And I think part of me, the one side was thinking, you know, you left, you didn't burn any bridges on the way out. You can not easily get back in, but since you've already worked there and you still have some strong connections, you can go back and use this as like a side hustle, you know, while you're working on uh, your, your day-to-day -day job. I might not have been able to go back to my, my old, my old career, but at least something similar. So there was that one side of me just saying like, just go back to it. You can, you know, you can make it work uh, or at least look for another job uh, in the field that I was working before. And then the other part of me was just, you know, I, I, I think uh, it was tough love, really. You know, I thought to myself, I've I've made my bed, I've chosen this path, and I needed to give it some full. I, I need to put my full effort behind it before I just kind of threw in the towel sh so shortly. I once heard this interview with. Uh, it's so funny that I'm quoting uh, this guy with Sasha Baron Cohen, um, mm -hmm. Borat, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, and he. I remember reading this interview with him or hearing it somewhere, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it really stuck with me. Was he? wanted to pursue acting. I think he was a history major or something like that. Uh, and he wanted to pursue acting. And so he, his parents didn't want him to, and he made a deal. He was just like, if you give me three years and I don't, you know, get a gig at the end of the, within those three years, if I don't m make it big, I'll, uh, I'll go back to what I was doing. And I thought to myself, I was like, maybe I just need to make a deal with myself. Maybe I just need to say, look, give this, you got to get, give this at least, you know, three to five years, put as much as you can into it, get as much as you can out of it. And, uh, and then if at the end of that three to five years, you're not really feeling it, or you are drawn towards other things, then, then go back, you know, go, go to something else. Life's never, you know, over once you start a new career path, especially as you know, the statistics of millennials say, it's like, we'll change careers seven times. So if that's the case, I'm only at switch number two. So I've got five more to go if my math is correct. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, that's awesome that, that you like the one side of the debate was around how do I stick through this longer and giving yourself a little bit more of a, um, uh, kind of framework on, Hey, this, th you know, I committed to this, um, here's my time frame. Was that ever a challenge for you? Um, you know, even kind of looking back at other things where, you know, you're faced with a challenge and it's easy to kind of opt out. Um, but you decide to persevere. Um, was that kind of, is that a, is that a typical way of, of, um, the way that you think, or did this situation pull out a different level of who you were and perseverance? Yeah. I, you know, in terms of the gravity of it, I think this was a pretty novel situation for me because I've been pretty lucky in terms of my professional life to have kind of a lot of, uh, or at least some safety nets in place where I could, you know, where the, if, if it didn't work out, I could just, I could just go do something else or I could just go do this. And I guess the same could be said in this situation, but having gone through the boot camp and having gotten a whole new skill set, you know, had done everything from getting new business cards to telling my friends to 
to change my LinkedIn profile. It just, it felt super permanent, at least temporarily. And I, it was something that I think it was a unique situation in that sense where I felt, I felt this pressure on myself and that, you know, having quit a job and having told other people that I wanted to go and work and travel the world that, that it, yeah, it was, it was something that I hadn't really experienced before in that sense. And I, I kind of viewed it as like, I can't, I can't really fail. You know, I, I know I can, but I like, I need to do my best in order to, to not fail. And so that was kind of, I think I just really had to dig deep, uh, deeper than I ever had before in in a lot of situations. Yeah. So, okay. Now you, you're in this basement, you're having this debate, um, you know, dead of winter, things are light. Life is not, um, visible outside. (laughs) It's dark. Uh, what, what happens next? Yeah, I, I, um, I was, so I was working there the, the contract, essentially the permanent contract, uh, that I had there was about three months and which was perfect because, uh, at the end of it, I think it was going to be February. And, uh, that's when I decided with, uh, my, my partner to, um, take this leap and move abroad. Uh, and we were going to do, uh, we were think we were toying with the idea of doing just a quick uh, three month stint to see if we liked it, to see if it was kind of everything we had hoped for. Uh, and so I told the guys that I was working with, uh, that I'd mentioned this kind of at the beginning that I was thinking about, uh, moving abroad afterwards. And I guess my initial suspicions about them not liking me or the work that I was doing was wrong. Cause they, they offered to kind of continue sending me some work while I was abroad, which is great. Um, which kind of got me through, uh, you know, in my first early Rocky freelancing days, uh, and so, yeah, essentially come when February rolled around, I had uh, a one-way ticket purchased uh, for myself and my partner to Barcelona, Spain. So that was kind of the light at the end of the tunnel at literally, you know, working in that basement. Uh, and then just kind of ha- once those tickets were bought, knowing that that was kind of our, our out, our really first big um, feat in terms of this achieving this kind of dream, this digital nomad dream um you know or at least uh, the dream of, of living outside of canada because at that point i'd never lived anywhere i traveled extensively but i'd never lived outside of canada before so it was just something i was really yearning to do and uh yeah this, that was that was the first hurrah i guess in this whole journey mm-hmm. um all right so shifting to digital nomad and life abroad um what's what's the one or two places that you really enjoyed spending time in yeah. Oh, it's like choosing a favorite child. Um, <laughs> I would say two places that kind of have, have a piece of my heart would be Medellin, um, Colombia, just an absolutely incredible place uh, with just some of the most heartwarming and welcoming uh, people that I've ever met. Um, really incredible culture. And especially, you know, for a society that uh, has a pretty tumultuous history, a recent history as well. Um, just how proud they are to to be where they are now, and just seeing how you know how far they've come from the early those early days. Uh, and yeah, and then the second place I would say, yeah, it's not, I'm going to just go the country because it's so big and diverse. Is Mexico? It's just absolutely incredible. Anywhere we go here has just been a phenomenal experience. Uh, again, culturally speaking, it's so rich, vibrant. Um, food, people are super hospitable. The activities are just, yeah, incredible. If anyone needs me to write a tourism brochure of either of those places, let me know and I will do it because I'm very <laughs> excited about them. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can tell. So what, what's been some of the, the toughest um, moments or challenges you've seen living and being outside of home? You know what? I, I, I got to say one of the big things, and I didn't realize this when we first started nomading, because I think, you know, growing up in a city, growing up in Toronto, I I was and, and going to school there, even university there, working there through my whole life. That's that was almost, you know, uh, 27 years of me developing friends and communities. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned earlier in, in the call, there was there was moments where I just I felt like I didn't necessarily my schedule wasn't mine all the time. And I felt kind of overwhelmed and I had trouble saying no to social obligations at times. And, you know, kind of just out of habit fell into a really busy lifestyle for better or for worse. And so um, once I moved abroad, you know, I kind of got rid of that in a it, yeah, in a very deliberate way, you know, by choosing to move away from it. Um and it came at quite a cost, and I didn't realize what that cost uh, was or how, how big it, uh, the cost would be. But, you know, looking at your friends on, on social media or catching up with them on uh, – catching up with your family on FaceTime. You know, I've got two little nieces, and I see them on FaceTime, and I just see how far life – how quickly life passes and how quickly it goes. And, you know, people grow up, people change, and birthdays happen, weddings happen, and you start to kind of – you know, it's nice to travel and be away, but you also miss that community pretty quickly. And you start to realize that, yeah, it's great to live this lifestyle, but what are you with, kind of without your friends and family nearby or people to talk to? Mm-hmm. Did, did it make you feel like the, the value of community was a bigger part in your life? Or was that already something you, you had a feeling already about, but now it's, it was just accentuated by being abroad? Yeah, I, I think I, I think... I mostly took, I think when I look back on it, uh, my time in Toronto, I think I just ended up taking it for granted Um, and not taking my friends and family for granted, but just taking um, how lucky I was to have a robust, um, you know, social circle or or social circles from different different parts of my life and different walks of my life. And then once I, you know, kind of transplanted myself outside of Canada to different parts of the world and I kind of ostracized that that part of my life, uh, you know, in at least a physical way, I... um, yeah, that's when I really started to to kind of say, oh, my community is actually incredibly important to me and, and be an intentional community too, you know, not just hanging out with anyone for the sake of hanging out, but spending quality time with people and catching up with them. And, you know, I really started to miss that. And I think to your, to help answer your question, it was, it was kind of, yeah, those, those moments where, you know, I, I really started to understand what community means and how important it is to me personally. Yeah. Um, so transitioning a bit here to, um, the Ikigai part of your journey, um, just curious to know what, what does Ikigai mean to you? Hmm. When I think about Ikigai, I think of, you know, your, your sort of your North star, your, your why, like, you know, we've talked about, um, before, uh, just essentially what your what your calling is, how you're working towards it. Um, authenticity is, you know, a big thing that comes to mind when I think about it. Um, oftentimes, you know, when I think about it, I think of deliberate, uh, hard and rewarding work um, and work that we don't necessarily allow time for um, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and so when, you know, you mentioned your why or your purpose um 
how do you know you're going in the right direction? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if I'll ever know. Um, I feel like sometimes a bit of a ship in the night when it comes to my why, but, um, if I, I think what I find helpful or at least gives me some sense of confidence that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm progressing that I'm going in the right direction is, um, is reflection uh being able to take a take a step back um you know whether it be once a week once a day in some ways even um you know once a month doing those those bigger reflections and 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 looking at what have i accomplished where am i where what am i missing kind of what where do i see myself and as long as i'm you know i have an idea of where i want to be at least at some point in the in the near future i feel like i'm i'm being authentic and true to my my ikigai self Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that would be, I think reflection is, is the big piece. What, what do you do, uh, specifically for reflection? Well, I like to, I mean, yearly on my, uh, birthday, I like to spend some time doing, uh, the year reflection. I don't, you know, a lot of folks do the new year's resolutions, which I think is great. Um, one of my friends had talked about doing it on her birthday. She does her goal setting cause you know, that's a full year for her. Um, so I try to adopt that and it kind of takes the pressure off New Year's. So yeah, essentially, um, taking time to ask myself a bunch of reflective questions, which I'll, I'll kind of prepare throughout the week leading up to it. And then when, um, when the birthday comes, take some time to uh, sit down, reflect and answer them. Uh, and then usually about once a month, uh, I'll do some bigger overarching kind of goal, uh, reviews to make sure that I'm kind of meeting those, those goals that I, I had set out to do. And then, uh, on a weekly basis too, I usually do uh, a weekly wrap up and a weekly plan to kind of, um, see where I'm, uh, where I've, what progress I've made and, you know, how I'm progressing in, in some, in these different areas of my life. Awesome. Any, any last, uh, comments, thoughts, words to share with the folks listening? I think one thing I'll say, if anyone does have any uh, thoughts or inclinations to kind of pursue this sort of lifestyle, go for it. If you have any, if you, if it's in, if it's in you and you, it's something that you've always toyed with, go for it, do it in, do it in a methodical way. Um, and if you do have questions, uh, and if you, yeah, if, if you do need advice or some insight, you know, by all means, people can reach out to me. Um, is this the part where I plug my website or? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. How do they find you? Yeah, so people can reach me at www.andrewandrewjohn.es. Um, that's my website. I've got some contact information on there, so you can just shoot me an email uh, or reach me on Twitter. I think it's linked there as well. Um, yeah, and I'd be more than happy to chat about that. Uh, freelancing, coding, anything in general, feel free to reach out. And I'm excited for you if you do decide to take that journey. Alrighty. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for this conversation. Um, it was great to hear uh, how your your careers really come together, um, and and probably a really unexpected way if you're looking back, you know, ten years ago to where you are now. Um, not just in a new field, but li- literally in a new new location. And um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of admiration for um, you know the courage you showed just to make this decision to persevere. And also to kind of take it as as an experience, as something that you know you're you're living each of the, each of your moments to the fullest. And I think that's something we can all strive to do: is just uh, 
live our life in moments rather than this, you know, straight trajectory and thinking about executing plan A. There's always a plan B and there's always a way to um, pursue our guys in different ways. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Pete. Kind words as well. Um, great to be on the, the podcast. And yeah, like Pete said, if anyone needs any uh, insight or wants to chat, let me know. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ikigai Project. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. And take good care for now, everyone.